it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle yourselves in. Welcome to Stramash, the Scottish NFL podcast. This is episode 198, and we're sitting here, myself, Paul Mitchell, having just spoken to an absolutely fantastic person. It has been tremendous, Cameron, without a doubt. And it's not often we have asked for a guest to come and join us for a second time for such another long interview, but that is precisely what we have done. And we caught up with the one and the only Kevin Harlan. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Looking back, first of all, on last season, I mean, it was some season of football. I think it was a thrilling season for so many people. Do you, do you have any particular games from last season that immediately spring to mind if someone used to say, Kevin, what was your highlight? Well, I, I, I think, first of all, it's great to be on with you two again. Thank you so much for asking me. And uh, We're right on the uh, doorstep of another NFL season, which is always so exhilarating. And... Um, I've got three games the first weekend, uh, Bills at the Rams on Thursday, which will kick off the season. Then I go um, uh, to the Raiders and the Chargers in L.A. again on Sunday and then fly up to Seattle to do the Denver Broncos and the Seattle Seahawks, which, of course, is the return of Russell Wilson uh, to Seattle but only in the different uniforms. So um, I, I love my first weekend of games, and and uh, but can't wait for the season to get going. And I and I, I began by saying that I'm doing the Rams on the opening night, and that probably was as big a story as the NFL had last season uh, with the quarterback coming after so many productive years with Detroit, kind of the, the fourth quarter of his career and finding success with the Rams and an offensive genius like their head coach, Sean McVay. Um, that was scintillating. Cincinnati, who had gone from a four-win team the previous year to the Super Bowl, which is stunning, absolutely stunning, with a, with a bright young quarterback in Joe Burrow. Um, and then the usual, the, the usual suspects, right? Tom Brady with Tampa Bay, Aaron Rodgers with Green Bay. Uh, all these quarterbacks at one time were, uh, were meteors on the, on the horizon, but they could not push their team past the finish line like Burrow did with the Bengals and certainly Stafford winning the Super Bowl at the Rams. So um, we've got a lot of great stories going into this year. I mentioned doing the Raiders over the weekend for CBS and, and they've got the best receiver getting him in a trade with Green Bay and Devontae Adams. Uh, Justin Herbert in Los Angeles is in his third year. He's already been the offensive rookie of the year in the league. His second year, he was a Pro Bowl quarterback. So the AFC is loaded, and by virtue of what they've done at that quarterback position makes it, I think, uh, what we're anticipating to be a thrilling ride. Kevin, I don't think you could have picked three better games to start the season. I mean, they're, they're all mouth-watering. But I guess and then in terms of workload, I mean, I was looking at this earlier, you know, 53-man roster, so 106 players you've got to worry about. Then you've got all the coaches, all, you know, all the, the general managers, et cetera, et cetera. How on earth do you prepare for a, for, for a game when you've got three games rather than your normal two? Well, the, the very fortunate thing for a lot of us network broadcasters here in the States is that 
Um, usually we get to do a team's TV preseason. There are 32 teams. Uh, they've got 32 television productions uh, peculiar for their club, unlike the regular season where the networks take over. So getting kind of a jump start on the league in early August gets you in the frame of mind for beginning to prepare. And beginning about three weeks ago, I would uh, look at the stories for all six of the teams I've got the first weekend and, uh, and just taking little notes and headlines along the way so that come Monday uh, here in the States for the first game Thursday, then my Sunday, then my Monday game, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much in rhythm with the, the, the headlines for those teams. But uh, I would be lying if I said that it was not a lot of preparation. Um, but, you know, I've, I've been off for a couple months. The, the NBA season for me ended when I did the Western Conference Finals with the Dallas Mavericks and, and um, the Golden State Warriors, who eventually won the championship in the NBA. So that ended about June 1st for me. I was off till the last week in July. Uh, but I'm ready to get going. Football's my love, and I, I cannot wait to go. So it's a labor of love, and I'd probably do it for, for no money at all, to be quite honest, to keep up with the teams and, and do the work. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel get that. That leads me nicely on to the question of when you get the chance to get these coaches' meetings, the broadcast meetings with the coaches and key players, how much do you personally get out of that, and what are you looking for at these meetings? Had some great questions. Uh, I, I listen to the questions that my analysts will ask. Um, I, I, I want to know by his questioning what he thinks is important. You know, a play-by-play -play guy um, really is just dealing with the nuts and bolts and trying to be as efficient as he can with his play-by-play, -play, adding darts along the way, little nuggets along the way. But really, it is a analyst's medium because there's so much going on in every play that you basically just want to accentuate accent and supplement what he's saying, but he's the lead dog. The analyst is the lead guy. So uh, it's almost more important for me to hear what's important to him. And then I can kind of frame how I'm going to approach that broadcast by virtue of those thoughts. Um, I've got my own things, but, but my questions are more, um, you know, uh, when you go to a, a dime defense, who are your extra players? Um, will your cornerback travel? In other words, will your cornerback be assigned to the best receiver who can line up on either side? And will that cornerback travel with that receiver from one side to the next? Or will that cornerback stay firmly planted on the left side or the right side? And regardless of who he's covering, he's not moving. Um, who's the backup long snapper? Um, uh, who will be your third down passing running back? Who's your fourth receiver? You know, just questions like that so that I'm not caught off balance uh, during the broadcast. But in terms of the heavy diagnosis of what's going on, I leave that for the guys that played the game. Um, I'm a fan of the game. I've loved the game. I've been around the game since I was 10 when my dad was with the Packers and I was a ball boy during training camp and worked in the press box since I was 11 uh, at Lambeau Field in Green Bay. So I know the game, but only from my standpoint. I did not get under center. I did not take a snap or throw a pass in the game. So I want to make sure that I stay in my lane, uh, but know exactly where my partner is driving 
in his lane that will hopefully make us an effective crew. Yeah, I, I find that fascinating because it is very much a partnership. You know, you are the, the professional broadcaster. You've got the professional football player alongside you, the ex-player. And it, it is important to get that rapport. And you certainly seem to have that with Trent Green, as we see on, on CBS. How how important is it to develop that relationship between your sidekick? You know, um, it's important. Uh, I think you need to be friendly. I think you need to be professional. There are many stories of broadcast partners that may not have really meshed. But once the light goes on and the game is started, um, you've got to be linked. Um, luckily, uh, Trent Green is one of the kindest, nicest people that I've ever come across in broadcasting, as is my Monday night broadcast partner, Kurt Warner, who was a Super Bowl MVP, and he's in the Hall of Fame. And ironically enough, Kurt Warner got his big start in the NFL with a Trent Green injury with the Rams. Trent Green blew a knee in the preseason. Kurt Warner came out of no place to be his backup. Trent Green was shelved for the season with the blown knee. Kurt Warner took over and became the MVP. So, like, I mean, they're, they're, they're connected. Um, and there's a, there's a new movie uh, on Kurt Warner's life uh, that came out called American Underdog which if you love football, you'll love the movie. And I would suggest it to your listeners and viewers. Um, um, it, it's, it's, it's poignant. It's a little sappy, but his story is sappy. It's Kurt Warner's. Is. So, so being a friend and knowing what's important to them is important to me. And, and being professional uh, is, is, is great. Uh, and if you're a friend, it's even easier. So you kind of get to know the, the rhythm of his broadcast style you, you know what maybe his hot buttons are, and you can lead him down that road subtly. Um, so, yeah, your, your point is well taken, and it's right on the money. You, you've, there, there needs to be a friendship, a relationship there uh, to get it off the ground, sure. Yeah, I find it interesting when I've, when I've spoken to various people in sport. I think one of the things that surprises people is that – not every broadcaster is friendly with every broadcaster, just as not every player on a team is friendly, you know, with each other. But you're right. It, once you cross that white line or the lights come on, you know, the radio's live. You've just got to be, you've got to be professional. I think I was at the Detroit Tigers radio booth a couple of years ago. Uh, they were fighting with each other, which was, which was, was quite amazing. You know, so, so these things, these things can happen in terms of you, your whole crew. I mean, give, give me an idea of roughly how many people would work on a broadcast for CBS. So we are the third of eight broadcast crews with CBS and our crew, the second crew and the first crew with Jim Nance and Tony Romo. Our crews are basically the same. The top three, crews are the main three crews we get um, by virtue of that of, of that positioning uh great games every sunday um so so our crews consist of at least seven eight nine cameras uh the one crew will get as many as 12 for a regular season game um we've got a crew i would say of roughly 25 to 35 people that will travel with us to each game, each weekend, we do all 17 games. Um, they usually get in on a Friday morning, set up on Friday afternoon, Saturday, uh, do a what they call a fax, which is they test a facilities check where they check every camera 
every cable that has been laid for, for sound and noise and, and every electrical element, uh, the wireless microphone to our sideline reporter. Um, so they go through all those things. I usually get to the broadcast booth uh, about three hours before kickoff. Unlike most play-by-play guys who have a statistician and a spotter to help them locate tacklers and ball catchers and, and, and the running back, um, I don't use a spider. I feel it's important that I know the players as well as anybody. I want to be responsible for my own success or my mistake. Um, I, I, I don't know how I've always, I've never used a spider. It has served me well. Uh, there may be a time in 10 years um, when I need a spotter for just an extra pair of eyes. And so what we've done with that slot in our broadcast, and I think I'm the only one in the NFL and maybe all of professional broadcasting that doesn't use a spotter, um, we take that slot and we've got what we call kind of a, 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 a broadcast manager. And what this person does is they will monitor social media, usually the beat writers for the newspapers covering the two teams that we're broadcasting. They are very much include, included in our interviews with coaches and players throughout the week. They're in our production meeting on Saturday night, and they know our game plan as a crew, our storylines that we think are important, different elements and graphics that we have built throughout the week, video vignettes that we're going to throw in, sprinkle in the broadcast. And they kind of stand back with their broadcast and NFL experience and see the total picture. When you're doing a game, you can get so lost in the weeds that sometimes some of these big storylines that we thought were vital, for whatever reason, kind of get lost. Uh, We may forget about a great graphic that we've got that that has, for whatever reason, slipped by everybody's view. And this person, this broadcast manager, will be there. Hey, guys, during our commercial breaks, we'll have these little two-minute meetings. And he may say, Hey, don't forget about the graphic of of, uh, Patrick Mahomes' fourth quarter passing efficiency. Or don't forget about the little video vignette we've got of of Stafford's passing um, uh, at the beginning of the season versus the middle of, you know, whatever it might be, uh, a key injury on the offensive line, which we've really not developed very much. His job is to kind of, Watch social media and what the, what the writers are putting out there. And these NFL beat writers that cover the team from the all year long, 365 days a year, and they know the ins and outs better than anybody. Um, they're during the game constantly on Twitter, giving observations and comments and notable things because they know that all of their readers are following them on Sunday during the game, keeping up to date on what's going on. So, so it, it's a pretty big operation, and, um, and it takes a lot of uh, – we use a term uh, here, uh, don't let go of the rope, that you're only as strong if everybody on that crew have, have got a firm grip with both hands on that rope and we're all tugging in the same direction. So don't let go of the rope. And if somebody screws up a shot, that affects the whole crew. If somebody messes up in graphics or in audio, that messes up everybody. We're only as strong as our weakest link. So everybody feels like they've got a voice 
and, and their importance is never minimized. I think that's, that's fascinating because it is a team effort. And I think a lot of people who don't, you know, work in the, in the industry don't quite get that, that everything is there. It's almost like, you know, the top of the iceberg and the, and the bottom of the iceberg, you know, everything exactly. that, that is, that is down there. So, so that, that, that's quite fascinating in terms of, you talk about getting to the booth three hours before. You you will have noticed, I have no doubt, the change in facilities as stadiums have been redeveloped and got better. I mean, ha has it changed greatly or, or do sometimes these new plush stadiums kind of forget <laughs> about the broadcasters? How are your facilities? Yeah, facilities are second to none. Now, we've I've done many games in London, um, Tottenham and uh, Wembley. And I forget now the third stadium. Is that the one that the NFL has helped build? Maybe that was Tottenham. Anyway, That, that was I, I Tottenham, think, yeah. Okay, there, but there was a third stadium in the rotation. Am I correct? There was Wembley, Twickenham. Tottenham, and thank you very Twickenham. much. Twickenham. Yeah. Yes, thank you so much. So so I've been at all three. I've done games from all three. And um, those facilities are great. In the States, what they have done with these new stadiums um, has kind of been a have and have not. Uh, in the olden days, the press level was at the 50-yard line or between the 30-yard lines, right in the middle, pretty close, beautiful view, and uh, just, you know, you just felt like, you know, your, your, your position to a team was probably worth $2,000 a game. That seat was that expensive. So what they have done with the advent of these new stadiums they have kept the, the network broadcast booth in that same slot, a little bit up, a little bit back, right on the 50. It's the best view in the house. They have taken the, the, the writers for websites and for papers and publications, and they have taken the radio broadcasters and they have kicked them either to the very rim of the stadium where you are literally 11 stories up and trying to watch the game, or they put you 10 stories up in the end zone with a rotten view. Um, it's very unfortunate. But what these owners have, have what, they're all businessmen. You know, this is, not, this is not a social welfare system here. This is a business. Um, there are no handouts. Uh, they have said, we can sell those former great press box seats for thousands and thousands of dollars per game and hundreds of thousands of dollars for a season. So I get it. I get it. Luckily, the network TV people have not been touched. When I do my games on CBS Radio Westwood One on Monday nights, and that follows through with the playoffs and then the broad broadcast of our Super Bowl that we do, um, we're in some pretty precarious vantage points. So I have to rely on a pretty nice screen that the league gives us. Uh, and I do a lot of the game off of that. And I'm constantly looking at this going up like this. There's a long pass. I've got, you know, I'm constantly looking here, looking there. It, it's a little, I'm doing some, some optical gymnastics. Um, it, it's a little bit tough, not complaining. It's just made our job a little bit more challenging. Yeah, I find that. It, it's fairly similar, actually, over over in the UK. Um, you know, when stadiums are redeveloped, television tends to get the better of things. 
and everybody else. And I and I, the people I feel most sorry for, I have to say, is radio, because I mean, I do a lot of radio as well. And sometimes right. I think, how, how on earth am I supposed to to see the see down there? You know, and uh, you get a little bit of poetic license, I guess, from from time to time. And I, I think, yes. do you find that your the radio audience is more forgiving as well? Well, I think the radio, you know, we are in a, I don't know how it is in the United Kingdom, but we are, unfortunately, I think radio is an art. Um, um, to do radio the right way is an art. And in the States, we are uh, conducting journalism classes where radio basically is not taught, but they're producing a lot of TV broadcasters. So our radio broadcasts in the States tend to be more paraphrasing and general and not painting the colorful word pictures that could make radio so impactful. I love radio. I was just the group before TV became so popular, uh, but radio was my first love and is my first love to this day, I find the challenge of doing a good radio broadcast uh, immense, but it's so incredibly satisfying at the same time to find the right words in the right tempo and the right voice frame, tenor, pitch is, is a challenge. And I love that challenge every Monday night, right on through the Super Bowl broadcast that we have to millions and millions and millions of people. Live radio still has a place on radio in this country, but the podcasts like yours are something that I think drivers during the regular week, uh, when they've got time taking a walk or, or jog or whatever, a run, um, they can listen to podcasts and, 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 and do it through that. But it's a conversation. When you're doing a live play-by-play -play event, there is a lot to keep track of. You've got to be the ultimate reporter. You've got to be the scene center, the, 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 the painting of the picture. And to do that requires so much, in particular, voice and using the right word. So I'm seeing now in these colleges, kids that are coming out, men and women both, they're coming out and they don't have the skill to just broadcast what they see. They rely so much on the picture that they're not exercising that part of their vocabulary and their broadcast presence, their broadcast delivery. I feel very fortunate that I came up at a time where radio was still important and that I learned those things. I've got those tools in my, in my, broad, in my broadcast chest, in my toolkit. That has been so important for me and I think actually probably makes our broadcasts stand out now listen I got out of college in 1982 and I have heard broadcasters that got out even four five six years after me that don't have that influence on their call and I feel bad because the great broadcasters in our country and I'm assuming in the UK as well the great broadcasters were brought up in radio, have that skill, carried it over to TV, and were even better because they had the voice. And I always tell kids, you know, what, what can you recommend? And I say, delivery, delivery, delivery. Because 
a great game with a poor delivery is crummy, but a great delivery in a so-so game is more impactful, radio or TV, both. So I stress to the kids that I get emails and calls from, I stress delivery. Our daughter is, uh, has been on ESPN for years as a sideline reporter. She's now gone to MGM Entertainment doing a podcast, but doing still a lot of radio for Westwood One and sideline work. But I stress to her, delivery, delivery, delivery. Cameron, we get that in the in the UK. And, you know, Cameron, I've probably bored Cameron to tears by pointing out a list of UK broadcasters who I feel are simply not good enough um, on on television. Because one of, one of the problems I think we've got here is we're, we're taking people from television and putting them on radio. And they're simply right. not not good enough. You can't do it that way. Um, and yeah, I could probably give you a whole list of names, but I better not because I'd like to continue working. Uh, <laughs> <so> <laughs> don't want to ups- upset people. Cameron, do you notice the, the you know the difference? You've done radio. You you appreciate that side. You notice when somebody can actually do both gigs. Yeah, and it's it's interesting hearing what you're saying, Kevin, because for me getting into this, and I've not had anything like the careers that the two of you have had, not even close. But it's funny that actual getting into TV broadcasting for me never was the goal. When I was young, it was always the radio because that's how I listened and that's how I got sport. Um, you know, this is we're going back to um, you know, the 80s and 90s, and the football coverage, just our soccer in our case. It just wasn't on television. So you had a very limited number of choices and the best option was always to turn to the radio. I think one of the interesting dynamics we've seen, and it's, it, I'd like to ask if it's the same in America, Kevin, is where we now have a lack of quality broadcasters, it's being filled with more analytical former players where the quality of the broadcasts a voice and what have you, the delivery is less important because the content they're giving is useful. Are you seeing a similar thing in the States? We are. We are. Um, and, and not that this is wrong or right. It's just kind of what is happening now in the business. But ESPN has gone to taking studio hosts who have no play-by-play experience and putting them on games uh, because I think maybe they're saying if it's a telecast, Maybe it should be more like a podcast or a conversation about what's going on and not necessarily the ins and outs. And, 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 but I, I still think the plays need to be framed by a professional play-by-play man, just like a play-by-play guy would have a hard time becoming as, as effective as that studio person was. So I get it. It's, uh, th- that's why you don't see a lot of great carryover from studio people to play by play and vice versa um, because everybody kind of has their, their specialty. I would say that if you listen to a great radio broadcast and hear a game winning goal or hear a touchdown, if it is called the right way, you know how the player got open to take that shot and how he kicked it and the velocity of the ball as it was sailing toward the, the keeper uh, or you would know that that the throw by the quarterback was a sidearm line drive um, belt high catch on the sideline and then a tackle was broken at the 10 he's on the sideline to the five he breaks another tackle at the three has the ball in his hands lunges to the pile you know 
Sometimes if the right words and cadence are used, if you're listening, driving by yourself some down some lonely road, and your mind has got that theater of the mind capacity, as most imaginations do, it can almost be more impactful than if you saw it with your own eyes and had the words of a commentator maybe framing the picture. Um, I'd like to think so, at least. And I've had people tell me that at times that is the case. Your imagination um, is is uh, so powerful. Uh, it is one of the most powerful emotions you have. You see so much with your eyes and take it in and really don't work to understand the play because you're watching it. Whereas on radio, you've got to work, though, thus you're more invested in the call and, and will pay attention to the words and the tenor of the voice and the impact of that, of that call. I don't know if former players can really have that quality in their delivery, but what they can do effectively is they can, you know, tell you what to look for before a play begins or before there's a setup of a, of an attack on a goalkeeper. And, and, and those things can be good. It just, you just got to kind of know what you do well, but we are seeing a lot of experimentation with more analysts being uh, the driving force in a telecast and not the professional play-by-play or, uh, you know, maybe having a, a firm grip on the wheel. The the flip to that one as well, the other one, and it sounds like we're having a good old morning here, but why the hell not, eh? Um, the flip to that is that with social media, there's become uh, perhaps more focus on the the iconic moments. You know, I think if you think back... It, if you ask anybody about their favorite sporting moment without failure, most of them will have a, a bit of amazing commentary that goes with it. It's the words that are said at the time that make that moment and enhance it. Um, one of the things that we're perhaps seeing on this side as well, and I wonder if you're getting the same, is the younger broadcasters that are coming through that maybe do have the talent sometimes try to overdo it. And, and say to, I'm guilty of it myself, I'm doing it right now, but use too many words to say something simple at times and are almost looking to make every play that iconic commentary just in case it happens to be the moment of the game, which could sometimes make it slightly staggering and difficult to listen to because you need to give someone the room to allow their imagination to fill in the blanks and not force them down where your own imagination would naturally take you. Is that a fair statement? It is. I was. It's so funny you bring this up, Cam. I was just. I was just reading stuff by a professor at one of our universities here regarding television, and he was going through the younger broadcasters compared to the older ones, and how the older broadcasters um, use an economy of words, but the words were always so poignant that they mixed in there well. Um, it is a lost art. And it's one that I think every broadcaster, um, you know, competes with himself or herself as to what to say, when to say it, the timing, when to lay out, let the crowd speak. If a picture is worth a thousand words, you don't have to say anything, right? But if you can accent it, if you are as nimble mentally and with your vocabulary and with your, your absorption of the play, uh, you can definitely make it more enhancing and even more stunning and more prolific. And, and you can make your, your mark that way. 
I think every I think every viewer wants a broadcaster who is engaged. Uh, they're not going through it with no kind of excitement. They want a level of excitement. They want things, but you've got to know when to when to stop it. You've got to have the burst, and then you got to lay out and let the picture tell the story. And um, and sometimes I think there is a nervousness with a broadcaster when a play is developing, and maybe it's a little ponderous to develop. And the quarterbacking, uh, the quarterback is running around, and the broadcaster feel he got to say, and there he is running around. Well, we can see he's running around. But maybe you say, oh, and there's a good block by Stewart, and there's a, a you know, and, 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 and things like that, which can accentuate the play with not getting in the way of the play. We just lost a, a very famous baseball broadcaster here recently, a guy named Vin Scully. His name may not mean much oh, no. to you over there. but mean, but means Vin loads Scully, to me. Loads to me. Yes. I'm a big fan. Big fan. Yeah, he was the voice of the Brooklyn Dodgers who moved to Los Angeles and became the Los Angeles Dodgers 50, 60 years ago. Um, and he was recognized as perhaps the greatest baseball broadcaster we've ever known. And he prided himself on, on just what we're talking about, on an economy of words. They can see that the shortstop is gathered in the ball. He may identify him. He may talk about the throw. He, we can see the first baseman has caught the ball. We know it's an out. And he would figure out a way to frame that in such a way where he was doing play-by-play, play, but just kind of identifying, letting it breathe, putting it, throwing a dart there, a little bit of information, just whatever it was with an eloquence and a, and a, and a capacity to almost uh, transfix you with his cadence and the way he went about that. And, um, you know, he was a generational type broadcaster. There's not been a baseball broadcaster like him. Many imitators, nobody like the original, uh, but, but it serves as a way, you know, just like with painters and singers and actors, there are hundreds of ways to do it because it is such a, it's not an, it's not an objective business. It's a very subjective business. Every vo- broadcaster has a different kind of voice. Every singer has a different kind of voice. Every actor has a different kind of style. Tom Hanks is different than Al Pacino. Um, um, you know, so, so you can go right on down. Hugh Grant is different from Tom Hanks. Like they're all different, right? They're all, they may be comedic actors. They may try their hand at drama, but they're all different in the way that they have it filtered through them. So it, it's, it's an ongoing challenge. I tell these kids, I said, you'll never hit your, your, you know, your plateau. You're, if you're not, continually evolving, getting better, listening to your tapes, trying to improve, knowing what the environment is telling you, incorporating whatever you need to as the world changes. If you're not changing, you're getting worse. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse. If you're not changing, you're not evolving. So like it's an ongoing thing. And so the very last broadcast that I ever do, I will be in that mindset that I can't rest on what I've done. I've got to continually look to get better. And that challenge is one I, I welcome. I like that. And I think most broadcasters do. I, I, I think that it's quite amazing given, you know, you are, you know, the CBS radio voice, you know, you, you're in the top three crews on CBS, but 
that personal drive. I mean, it, it's evident to us the drive that you have, Kevin, just to, to, to just keep on getting better. It's quite it's quite incredible. Well, I'm scared to hell I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> I'm afraid. There are a lot of young people coming up. You never know how this business will react to you. And and if you've lost your fastball, that's why you've got to kind of keep up on, on it. Um, most of us would do this job for free. We feel incredibly lucky. We're doing what we love. Um, and, and so I think there's a bit of paranoia and fear that hopefully drives you. Even the great, say, the great actors, the great singers mention often how I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to get another movie offer. I didn't know that I was going to have another top 10 hit. I didn't know that I was going to be able to write another book as good as my last. And that's what this performance business is all about. It's about performance. And uh, you're, you're never as good as you think you are. You're never as bad as you think you are. But you've always got to push yourself to be the best that you can be. And, and someday it may not be there. And I get that because that's the way the business is. But until that day comes, I don't want to look at myself in the mirror and say, you know what? You didn't give it your all. You didn't do the best. You were given some skills that maybe other people were not given. And, and you didn't push yourself to get the most out of those skills every day. Um, at the same time, I say that um, I don't know how you can have a rich and fulfilling career without another part of you away from the business that is equally as rich and as fulfilling, uh, whether that's a marriage, a relationship, uh, children that you have, what a friends, whatever that may be. I don't know how you can be a success in any business being all that and nothing else that makes you a complete person. So the people that are the titans of industry that are great in performance that are successful in life, happy in life, I feel probably have got to have this other element that is not work and job related that fulfills them and makes them as a whole a very happy and, and, and complete person without getting too deep here. But I think that's a pretty important. It's a great point. It's a great point. Um, Talking about uh, you know obviously careers spanning over the time you've you've looked to grow. One question that we we didn't touch on the last time we spoke, but wondered, is are there other sports that you've not had the opportunity to cover? Then let's just say you know the football time is up. Is there somewhere else that you would quite like to give a go uh, and see if you're capable of covering something else? Well, uh, we have four children and we, uh, we have three girls. And then our baby is our son, who's now 27. When he was in high school, he played soccer. And as one of his high school graduation presents, we went to the World Cup in Brazil. And uh, as I was watching these great World Cup matches and loving everything about the atmosphere and uh, the game of soccer, I thought, you know, I would love to, because I, th I think it's, it's a sport that if you did it and thought about it, how you would describe certain things that you could do well, I would love to try my hand at that. So soccer is one. Um, the other one would probably be uh, baseball, American baseball. Um, I think there would be so much to describe. The problem is, is that there are so many games that my style might wear on people because I would talk about 
you know, a pitcher on the mound adjusting his cap or the wind blowing up some dust at shortstop. But I just think there are so many things to see and touch on where you could complete a picture in the listener's mind that would be really rich. But I thought that soccer, because of its worldwide appeal, I thought that would be a pretty good challenge. Uh, no one has come my way and said, would you like to try doing the World Cup this this fall from Qatar? But maybe down the road, they'll say, let's bring uh, an American in here and, and let's see if we can train him uh, to do soccer as beautifully as we do in the United Kingdom and in Europe and all over the world. That, that I would like that challenge. I would like to... I would like I would like to be able to do that. I've heard some wonderful voices over the years do it, and and the thing that you're struck with by um, broadcasters, mainly British, is just their their wonderful use of the language and words that you would never put into sport that they do, and um, it, it's uh, it it really gives a time to to think about. And I will tell you that I have thought about using the word travesty or, 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 or what words they may use so seamlessly in our broadcasts over here. And, and that, that is a continued goal of mine. I, I, th- I think you would smash it without, without any doubt. I, it's interesting because I've not, I've, of the soccer I've watched in America, I've not found a play-by-play person I think no. is of the same quality of of American football baseball. I just I just don't think it's there. But you touch on words and language. I'm gonna let Cameron tell you we've had to rename the podcast to to avoid conflicts with, with the NFL potentially. So we've gone with a great Scottish word and I'm gonna get Cameron to, to, to leap to that to see okay. see what All you right. make of this. All so, right. It's um, it's a word that in Scotland is very much associated with a commentator called Arthur Munford. Now, Arthur was sadly no longer with us, um, was on STV, Paul, I think 32 years he did wow. Scott Sport. You know, very much the original voice of Scottish football, our soccer over here. Um, there's a word that he used to describe, and it says a great Scottish word, which I think dates back to 1801 is the first time they could, uh, it's been known to be used. And the word is stromash. Now, we like to roll our R's over here. So the word a stromash is, is very pleasant to say in the mouth of a Scotsman. Um, and, and basically, it's fundamental meaning. It means a brawl. It means a coming together of many people. Uh, and, and, you know, a, 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 to be honest, the lines of scrimmage in American football is a great example of what a stromash is. As those two lines crash together, it is a great stromash. Another time it would be used very, very well would be great plays like the butt fumble. You know, the famous one <laughs> between the Patriots and the Jets. And what a great game. And, you know, as Mark Sanchez slammed into the buttocks of his own linemen and the balls squirming around <laughs> and there's bodies flying everywhere, that is a great stromash. Um, it's a very Scottish word. It's very much known over here but hasn't hasn't landed internationally yet so we're going to try and get that word into the dialogues of other countries it just it does so much it does so much of the heavy lifting like you talked about it's a word that we can use that everybody immediately knows exactly what this scene looks like without you having to go into much more detail and we felt Stramash. 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 mash do i say mash or mash mash like like mash. 
Yeah, like mash, like yeah. uh, like mashed potatoes. Stramash. Stramash. Yes. Oh, it's, what a stramash. Absolutely. It's delivered beautifully. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> um, well, let, and, let me uh, see if next weekend I can get that. One of my, I got three games to do it. If I can't do it <laughs> in one of those uh, 12 quarters of football, then I have failed this podcast <laughs> and failed you, my two new friends uh, in, in your beautiful part of the world. So let me see if I can somehow get that in and maybe someone will get a hold of you and they'll have recorded it some way and you can use it. That would be amazing. Uh, I, I, that love would be amazing. I love the word. I love the word. And like I say, because we roll our R's very heavily in Scotland, you know, it's a real stramash, a stramash yeah. you know, um, a beautiful word. And we, to be honest, we landed on that really quickly when it came to renaming. Um, and I'm pretty certain, Paul, we can we can get Kevin a gig covering a Scotland game the next time he's over here. <laughs> I'm sure we can make that happen. That's definitely got to be a thing. Um, well, well if, if I can do it, Kevin can do it. There's absolutely no doubt about that. that, that that's for sure. That, but, that would be fun. It, it would be. I've often thought, camera, is it's very interesting. I find it odd to listen to a British voice on an American football game, and that sometimes happened over here, Kevin, when we had the international games and things like that. I, I, yeah. I find I find it very jarring because I don't think it works. Uh, I'd love to try it, but I don't think I, I don't think. I mean, I, could I do better than some of the people over here that have done it? narcissistically yes of course i think i can yeah. but it's not the same as having that that the american soundtrack which is a bit like soccer on here and i think part of that is because i don't think what you explain i don't think people take enough time to understand the nuts and the bolts and how to describe it and then leave the the clever stuff to your analyst if you like you know just like in soccer i mean there's a there's a there's a language there is um that whole structure that we just take for granted here that um that maybe is not present in in scotland in the united kingdom we um they're everyday words and we just were kind of we kind of grow up with it much like we would know maybe soccer terms i we we have not even touched on golf by the way and and the the scottish golf analysts the united kingdom golf analysts that we hear often as a part of our United States coverage of tournaments here or overseas, um, it, it brings a richness to the sport of golf in the telecast that can never be equaled by an American announcer. We just, you know, the Scottish Open, but that was a CBS did the Scottish Open actually, and it was a beautiful presentation with great scenics and. And I, I hope there's a huge influx of Americans that want to go see the beautiful part of the world that you all live in because it was breathtaking. Um, but it was it was also educational. Um, but when we get um, British, Scottish golf announcers here in the States, it gives a richness to the golf broadcast that you cannot get anyplace else. It makes it feel different. So so we are we are admirers of each other, perhaps. In, in our in our different parts of the world, but for the but the love of sport, NFL, golf, soccer, whatever it may be, your football, I I, I always consider it such a great melding of, of different ways of doing it and exchanging ideas and visiting with with wonderful people like you two. 
I'm going to share one anecdote about the Open because I was lucky enough to attend. Uh, and then I'm going to ask you one more question before we let you go. The Open, thanks to our good friends at Loch Lomond Whiskies who sponsored the Open, uh, they invited us up to attend. Absolutely fantastic day. It is a stunning. My first time being up to a, a big event at St Andrews for that. I've been to St Andrews many times, but never for a golfing event. We were fortunate. It was a beautiful Scottish day, a cool breeze, but the sun just breaking through enough to bring out the colours around you and just ev- brilliant. I, I, I concophony of different accents and uh, amazing booze, lots of booze, of course. It's a sporting <laughs> event. But as we were as we were going into the event, we were going into the VIP section at Loch Lomond, and directly in front of us was Colin Montgomery. Now, obviously, a particular mm. famous golfer. You would like to think so in Scotland. As we were entering the VIP area, Colin Montgomery, by the way, is an ambassador for Loch Lomond Whiskey, so there is a massive picture of him on the wall of the building that we're going into. Well, he was stopped by security who wanted to know that he was a VIP and said, excuse me, sir, are you a VIP? And Colin, calm as anything, I promise, I'm, I can't imagine this happened to him often, but merely pointed the, the lady in the direction of the corner of the room and said, that's my picture on the wall. And he was, sure enough, <laughs> access was then granted. <laughs> I just thought it was broken. We weren't asked. We were allowed in. I think she was sheepish after that. She was letting everybody in. So uh, we, we have a, a similar thing here. We've got to wear press passes, little little identification cards we put on your belt or around your neck or whatever on a lanyard. And a lot of the former players that I work with, NBA players and NFL players, uh, they forget them back in their hotel room. They've lost it somehow, whatever. And they and they and we have people that are traveling as we're walking to the gates. So how how are you going to get in? And they always say, right here, <laughs> exactly who I am. And by God, they do. We have a great basketball player by the name of Reggie Miller. He was a great, great oh. NBA player. And uh, he never has his press pass to get in off his belt buckle around his neck. And I said, Reg, how are you going to get in? Because I know what his answer is going to be. He goes, this is how I'm going to get in right here. They're going to look at me and that's my, that's my ticket. That's my ticket. <laughs> but I love your Montgomery story. That's true. That's a Fantastic. wonderful story. Yeah. So last last question then, because hearing your voice is absolutely fueled my excitement for the season ahead. You know, I, your voice for me goes hand in hand with American football. But so we're excited for the season ahead. My last question to you is: We talked about the great stories of last year. Let's finish this with the great stories that you're looking forward to seeing develop in 2022 and beyond. So what are the top couple of stories that you really want to follow this year? Well, I think you always begin with the defending Super Bowl champion Rams. Do they have another run in them? And I think they do. They feel very confident about what they've got, how they've bolstered their attack and on offense and defense. I think they feel very good about some of the young kids they brought in. So it begins with the Super Bowl champion uh, and then the Super Bowl opponent. Can the Bengals, who two years ago won just a handful of games, and last year we're in the Super Bowl for the first time, and it seems like forever. Can they do it again? Um, I, I think there's always – the season always begins with the quarterbacks. And the two oldest quarterbacks that are at the very top of their game still are Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers of the Buccaneers and the Packers, respectively. And I, I think everything kind of begins uh, with those big topics right there. Does Brady at 45 – still have it. Is Aaron Rodgers still the best player 
in the NFL. And then you get down to a subset of stories. Devontae Adams, the great receiver, once of Green Bay and Rodgers, now with the Raiders in Las Vegas. Is he as good there as he was up in Green Bay? Um, um, is Justin Herbert, the, the Charger quarterback, uh, B- Baker Mayfield has moved to a new team. He was a pretty prominent college player here, the number one overall pick four years ago, but he's since been traded to Carolina. Um, really, in the NFL, no more Ben Roethlisberger at Pittsburgh. He's retired. Um, every team has a story that could be a headline for the league. Um, that's the greatness of the NFL. I'm sure you have it over in Scotland and in, in, in your football. It, it, it just, it, it, it's a league that is so heavily covered and every team is covered so thoroughly that you could really go down 32 headlines and any of them could be number one because every team has got some level of intrigue. Russell Wilson, after 10 years in Seattle, moving to Denver. Uh, The Cowboys, which continue to be always the biggest story, is this the year of the Dallas Cowboys? Um, You you just, Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City was off to this great start, lost in the AFC Championship game a year ago to Cincinnati. Can he get the team back to the Super Bowl as he did a couple years in a row, winning one of them? So there are all these stories that with every team could be the number one story. And the great thing about the league and the way it's covered and how it is so, it is such a mammoth monster in terms of journalism here that every other sport pales in comparison. There's no other sport that come. We had a meaningless preseason game the other day by one of the networks which was the number one show, and it was going up against like like a big golf tournament, a big baseball game, and something like a big car, like it, and it, it, it like lapped them. It was like double the rating, like a meaningless summer football game. So it's the, the it's it's just it's such a behemoth on on our landscape here in the states. So um, any of these could, could be the number one headline, and and they will and and. There's overreaction after week one. The headlines are completely jumbled up and different after week eight. And then we get to the month of December when everybody knows what's in front of them. And it becomes like just a free for all. So it's the gift that keeps on giving because these players, these teams, this league is so compelling that every week it's a different big story. So it changes every week. And and that's what keeps you on the edge of your seat. I think that's that's so true. I don't think there's a sport in the world, and I, I would include the Premiership in England, which gets hyped unbelievably. I don't think there's a sport in the world that can match the NFL for exactly what you say, because I think in, in many other sports, you get four or five clubs that will dominate a particular league or something. But in this, the worst to first stories are fantastic. The draft makes it so equitable. And I think it's the, it's the old cliche of any given Sunday, but in most cases, you know, we, we were talking, Kevin, you know, we were on a fantasy football competition as part of our podcast, and we also run a Pick'em League as part of the podcast. I actually get more fun out the Pick'em League trying to spot which is going to be that upset this week. You know, the, the game that you pick and everybody goes, what are you doing picking them? And you say, oh, I, just, I just got that feeling. I just, you know, and the times you're right, 
you bask in the glory the times you're wrong which are more often than not but there is just something about it that can you know there's very few sports that can fuel a television network 24 7 basically and the nfl always seems to manage to do it it does how, how are the ratings over there just out of curiosity if, if if there's a great match on great soccer match there or, or what how, how how will the nfl do ratings wise against the sports that are dear to the hearts of of, uh, of your country. So what what's happened here is that our our the main slate of games is on a pay per view channel, a satellite channel, which automatically reduces it down. But what they found is that the Super Bowl, for example, gets you know two or three million people over here. Um, and that's starting to grow and because there's some terrestrial television coverage and actually ITV over here have come and have taken those rights from the BBC because they see it as something that is growing and that's something that can make them money. So what we're seeing is the ratings continue to develop year on year on year. Uh, And I think having having some content on terrestrial television does it the power of good. I think that's one of the great things about the NFL. Most of the action you can see for nothing on free-tier television. And I think that's key to keeping it exactly where it, where it needs to be. I think there are four games the league is going to have in London. There's a game in Munich. So they'll have five international games in Europe. And um, like the NBA, um, it would not surprise anybody if we're talking five, seven, ten years from now, if there are not teams uh, in the United Kingdom, I, I, would, I would be stunned if they're at the very least more games played over there, I just think that they've got a very, you know, exciting fan base. Um, and at the same time, no, you know, sometimes your advertising revenue can mature in a country. And that has not been shockingly not the case yet here in the United States, but um, there will be a day I'm sure when they feel we need to grow and that is going to be the logical place to go. Scotland, Britain, Germany, there's a lot of promise, I think, over there. Nonetheless, I know the three of us feel lucky that we can uh, watch these games, cover these games, and, um, and, and be a part of what is one of the great stories in the world uh, with, with the National Football League. Yeah, and just before you go, it's been announced today that one of our national radio stations has picked up 11 of the games for the San Francisco 49ers. They'll be broadcast on on radio over here. Um, So that's going to be really, really interesting. Um, I've listened to a few of the crews. It gets harder and harder. San Francisco yeah. have sounded, sounded good to me previously. So, yes. And uh, New Orleans have gone to Mike Hoss, who's now the voice of the Saints. So I'm quite pleased about that as well. So, good. yeah, it's great to, see, great to see it all develop, Kevin. Well, did you get our Monday night radio broadcasts on there? And, and I don't know how much you've seen of Kurt Warner, but, but he, is, uh, he is terrific to listen to uh, and a wonderful person. He watches every snap of every game every week and keeps a book. He does NFL Network here in the States, and they're 24-7 NFL. And he is probably their main analyst, but does Monday Night Radio with me. And I watch him in the booth prepare for games, uh, go over the games that have just been played. Uh, He's a phenomenal expert in the league and, of course, is a decorated player. 
and and he would be fun. He would be fun to listen to over there. I look forward to it. Thank you for joining us, Kevin. Absolutely brilliant. Always speaking to you uh, and enjoy the season ahead. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to visit with you too. And I'm honored you choose me and I hope we connect again soon. Enjoy the season. It's going to, it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle yourselves in. Paul, absolutely great to hear from Kevin again. He talks about how, you know, honoured he is to be asked to come on, but genuinely, the honour is all ours, you know. I hope it comes across to people, but we both thoroughly enjoyed that conversation again. It's an absolute privilege to talk to somebody who's right at the top of their craft and make no doubts about it. Kevin Harlan is right up there. And what you get from that is his passion, his desire, and his willingness to work really hard to deliver the best possible package, not for himself, but for the people who are either listening on radio or watching on television. And I endorse that 100%. Marvellous. And, and as I said, if, you know, if you're not ready for the NFL, I hope after that you absolutely are. Because for me, hearing his voice again, is just it just is the NFL voice for me. It really is. So brilliant to have him. You know, he's, he's been so engaged in conversations with us. We'll maybe have him again before next season. Um, but genuinely, uh, it's, we really hope you, the listener, have enjoyed it as much as we have. Because genuinely one of the best conversations we've had are the two that we've had with Kevin. So absolutely great stuff. Yeah, please drop us a line across our social media channels. Let us know what you thought. Uh, we, we loved it. We hope you did too. Yeah, but that's everything for episode 198. We'll be back again next week with episode 199, and we might try and squeeze in 200 before we get round to the NFL kickoff at the end of next week. It's been brilliant. I hope you enjoyed it. And on episode 199, we'll just have an NFL star on the show. What more can I tell you? Until then, from camera and from myself, Paul, thanks for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>